0: Writing a book, casting judgment on all of these people, and they you wonder—yes, right to
1: be close yes! to, to you—they absolutely
0: were. God damn it, I'm already pissed off. We're only at five.
1: I know, I know. I'm like hot. I'm hot. I'm coming in hot.
0: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, and gender non-binary folks worldwide, thank you so much for tuning in, and welcome back to Pod Latch. We've got a great show for you today. We've got a great under the radar segment later in the show that's really going to get your blood boiling. We're going to be talking today about a recent proposal by congressional Republicans to eliminate the Appalachian Regional Commission. We're going to be talking about that, why it's a terrible idea. And for our list, we always do a list at the beginning of the show. And this week, whew, it is a doozy. This one's been a, a, a long time in the making. The top five worst passages from hillbilly elegy i know it's been a long time in the making this is a tough probably the hardest list that we've ever done on this show and and i'm already kicking myself for leaving some off you could have a top 200 quite frankly for that terrible book uh but we'll get to that in a second first of all it's been a while since Callie and i have talked we've been in and out and busy and so uh give us a little bit of a life update what's new what's new in your world
1: Yeah, it's a great episode. I'm very excited for it. Um, I do have some life updates. Uh, I just went on on an international trip to Israel, met a whole half of my family that I had never met before um, on Danny's side. That was incredible. Um, And right before that happened, Danny was walking the dog through our neighborhood, which we love. We live in Charleston, and we love our neighborhood. And we've been thinking about buying a house for a while. And we've toured a few and they just didn't feel right. And there was a house that was uh, probably a block away that we'd always had our eye on. And we were like, if that house ever goes up on sale, like we're we're going to jump on it. That's like a beautiful house. Um, and Danny was walking Frankie as they were putting, literally they were putting the for sale sign in the yard of this house. We called them a half hour later. Um and we had secured the house uh, in less than 24 hours, so record timing. Um, and Danny and I bought a house in Charleston, and we are so excited! Congrats
0: on breaking the millennial curse and becoming a homeowner. Very,
1: I know, totally wild. Only in West Virginia.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. I was like, man, if only I was trying to buy a house there, I would.
1: Yeah, we might sent, actually be
0: able to afford it one day.
1: Yeah, we've sent the Zillow to like all of our friends to to like announce that we got the house, and um, like obviously the Zillow has the price on it. And you know our friends live in places like Chicago, Raleigh, DC, and they're like, Jesus Christ, like that's so much house for so little money. Um, and I say. Yet another benefit of living in the great state of West Virginia. beautiful homes for very little money. and look outside. I mean, you can't look outside, but it's beautiful. The fall colors here are in full bloom. It I is technically just, can you, oh, you can yes, you are in West Virginia that's right. And Physically, so yeah, yes uh, this is an unpaid advertisement for the state of West Virginia.
0: Come there you go join West us. Virginia tourism, take the win.
1: all right. Uh, so Chuck, what about you? Life update.
0: Oh, life update. Well, I won't go into too much detail. I'm back in West Virginia. My mom's been sick. She had a stroke and she's still in rehab for it. So I've been back here helping the family out. Um, I, I would say it's been good. It really hasn't, but I mean, it's been good to be back in West Virginia. Yeah. Um, you know, replaced a hot water heater and a, we're building a ramp at my house. So big, exciting stuff all around.
1: Yeah. I'm so sorry about your mom. i I mean I mean we've been talking about this for a while, but I know that our whole community um is just thinking of you and and holding a, a thought for your family right now.
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. Um yeah, we we'll just take every every thing day at a time. That's all you can do. But uh, why don't we get into the episode? Yeah. Because um, we got a few updates first. I know that we want to mention that we have a bonus episode out. We put it out uh, last Thursday. That would have been the 20th, maybe? Great episode with
1: friend of the show, Robert Connie. Um, I've only ever met Rob through social media, Twitter mostly. Um, But you had a great conversation with him. Uh, And then I interviewed a couple of folks running for office in Kentucky. Um, So... That's a great episode. Go ahead and check it out. But good news is, it's not the last bonus episode. No, it's not. We have... We have another bonus episode coming out this Thursday. Um, and there will be a, a interviews uh, with folks from around the region, including Allie Layman, who is running for West Virginia house of delegates, Kellen Squire, who's running for Virginia house uh, and Josh Remillard, who is running for the North Carolina house. Um, he is running in my home district. He will be representing Canton, hopefully. So uh, I'm very excited to share all of these with you. And, uh, it'll be a great bonus episode so don't miss it.
0: Yes, please don't. And God willing I'll get all that edited. I think I will though. We're uh we're getting there. I believe. I kind of have to cuz election day is going to be a week from when this comes out. So <laughs> Um yeah, I'll get it done. So we'll move into our list and I'll premise the list by talking about this polling that we have. Um So the list today is one that everyone's going to really enjoy, and by enjoy I mean like hate listen to, I think is the right way of putting it. It's going to be the uh, top, how many did I have here? One, two, three, four, five, okay, whoops, (laughs) I can't do that right. It's going to be the top five worst parts of Hillbilly Elegy, and my god, that was a hard list, and and there's probably going to be some disagreements over whether or not these are the worst parts. In fact, I'm already thinking of one that I left out that I should have put in. But those are the five worst parts. Why am I mentioning polling, though? Well, we wanted to just really quickly, as we just glide into this slippery list, and emphasize that polling, while it is a real science and has its own value, don't trust it. At least not this time of year. (laughs)
1: Yeah, um, polling is one of the kind of, it, it, speaking of slippery, it's one of the slipperiest things to deal with in politics because it's so misunderstood, it's so misused, um, and people view it as a, some sort of crystal ball when it is truly, truly not.
0: It's slipperier than Joe Manchin at a fossil fuel convention.
1: Hey-oh.
0: Nailed it. had to get it in sorry had to had to squeeze one in there (laughs) yeah so you'll notice i mean a lot of the big senate races pennsylvania ohio georgia north carolina a lot of people think that fetterman is an odds-on favorite there same with warnock in georgia and um in other places let me just tell you they're not favorites to win. This is a tough environment for anybody with a D next to their name. Even though Dobbs abortion is going to weigh heavy and, and and be a really important factor this election, there's still a lot of economic variables that are going against the Democrats. And so I think that these are very tough races and everybody needs to be out not just voting, but getting other people to the polls, canvassing, doing, working, like volunteering for the campaigns, all that kind of stuff. Because all these races are close. They're all winnable for yes. Democrats. I want to say they are all winnable. And I think for the most part, the campaigns are doing a great job, like the candidates are. I will say that in Ohio, which we'll soon to get into, National Democratic Party has just completely laid it out to dry and it's fucking bullshit. And yeah. it's amazing. If you look at like the difference in outside spending in that race, it is astounding. Downing.
1: Yeah, it is It is a dereliction of duty yeah. by the Democratic Party, truly, because Tim Bullshit. Ryan is showing up for us. He is showing up every single day, running the strongest possible campaign. I think Tim Ryan is writing the playbook on how to run against a candidate like J.D. Vance or even, even a candidate like Oz. Um, in my opinion, I think, you know... P- Pennsylvania and Ohio have different demographics, so I'm not saying that, like, Fetterman's running a bad campaign or anything like that. I'm just saying I think that Tim Ryan is absolutely crushing it.
0: Yeah, running a great campaign, pretty much flawless almost, yeah. really. Kudos to his team. Yeah, and, and one that's very well-suited to win in a really tough environment like Ohio, um, but J.D. Vance has millions and millions and millions tens of millions of dollars of outside money and that stuff makes a difference especially around this time when there's a week or so left to go yeah so just keep that in mind and we can move on into the worst so this is callie this is a tough list it really it is. really um,
1: it was it was tough to even read
0: all right i'll start with the first one this is uh number five and again i just want to emphasize e- even still, looking back on this, I regret not putting some in. So don't get mad at me. Don't at me. <laughs> I will do a notes app apology soon. I promise.
1: Thank you. We We're gonna need it. going get back to that.
0: We, I, we all need it. We all need it after, after these trying times. <laughs> number five, this comes from Hillbilly Elegy. I didn't write the page number down, but trust me, it is from the book. I will find the page numbers if you truly want to know. Quote, The people are physically unhealthy, and without government assistance, they lack treatment for the most basic problems. Most important, they're mean about it. They will hesitate to open their lives up to others for the simple reason that they don't wish to be judged. This was about people, I think, in Jackson, Kentucky, is where he was talking about.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Starting out hot here, uh, trying to dunk on people who don't have access to health care and who have been dealing with comments like, this for generations and also like yeah really a huge mystery as to why people don't want to open up to a grifter like fucking jd vance Like, (laughs) i don't understand like he's he's not likable like of course nobody's they're mean about it like i'm sorry that they hurt your little harvard feelings
0: yeah, and like when he's writing about this is when he was a kid. So with this like little asshole shithead kids walking around to people being like, "You look physically unhealthy," and I can't believe you don't have health care. What a fucking loser who doesn't have health care.
1: Yeah, yeah, he was very in tune with the healthcare environment as a tiny child.
0: And and the fact that that he's criticizing them for being mean because they don't want to open their lives up to others because they don't want to be judged. I'm sorry. It's because of people like you that they feel judged. Yeah. You're writing a book casting judgment on all of these people. They and were you wonder right to, be, yes. to be closed up to you. They absolutely were. You wonder why they don't want to open up to you. It's because of who you are and you doing exactly this. God damn it, I'm already pissed off. I know, I know. Five. I'm
1: like hot. But. I'm hot. I'm coming in hot. <laughs>
0: God damn it, why did I put this in here? Oh mm.
1: man. All right, are you ready for number four?
0: Yeah, I can't wait to go right from this to bureaucratic necessities. Yeah, that's what
1: we're, we're doing right after.
0: Yeah, that. Yeah. go <laughs> ahead. number four.
1: All right, number four, <laughs> cool down. Quote. The problems that I saw at the Tile Warehouse ran far deeper than macroeconomic trends and policy. Too many young men are immune to hard work. Good jobs are impossible to fill for any length of time. Again, talking about the people in Jackson, Kentucky.
0: Yeah, and this was uh, in reference. He said the warehouse, Tile Warehouse. That was He's talking about a job that he had i think had before he went to either yeah college also a or law temporary
1: school. job like he's right. also not i'm sorry and like
0: no no don't please don't be sorry because this is in and, and this in the context of it the rest of it was him talking about how often a guy went to the bathroom and it's again little shithead chubby cheek jd over there with a the stopwatch being like mm-hmm. <laughs> sir you spent
1: approximately five minutes in the bathroom what were you doing playing with yourself
0: Fuck you, JD. Yeah. God damn it.
1: Yeah, he that really, I love that impression, by the way. I think it's very spot on. But also, Thank like, to talk about the people of Kentucky this way. Like, yeah the people in a region known for coal mining and lumberjacks and mills like very bad at hard work like you can't have both of these ideas at once like he's saying that they're they're like the people who are in the in these jobs of mining and they're pigeonholing us into these ideas of what they think Appalachia is but also being assholes about it and like saying that we actually can't do hard work so which Which is it, Republicans? Can we do hard work or can we not? And it's just like the the absolute hypocrisy in this is astounding. God, I hate him.
0: Oh, the hypocrisy is one of the best parts because you look at how lazy he's been campaigning for his Senate seat. How he only waited until about the last three weeks to even bother gracing the state of Ohio with his presence. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, too many young men are immune to hard work. Well, okay, buddy. This is from one temporary job at a tile factory. Okay, thank you for that. Very helpful. Moving along, though, because I could spend hours on all of these. Mm -hmm. Number three. While passing a small two-bedroom house, I noticed a frightened set of eyes looking at me from behind the curtains of a bedroom window. Again, this is in Jackson. My curiosity peaked. I looked closer and counted no fewer than eight pairs of eyes, all looking at me from three windows with an unsettling combination of fear and longing. On the front porch was a thin man, no older than 35, apparently the head of the household. Several ferocious, malnourished, chained-up dogs protected the furniture strewn about the barren front yard. When I asked Rick's son what the young father did for a living, he told me the man had no job and was proud of it. But he added, they're mean, so we just try to avoid them. That house might be extreme, but it represents much about the lives of hill people in Jackson.
1: He writes this like a fucking Stephen King novel. Like if you read this, if you read this in the voice (laughs) that you do some of our of our ads in, like like while passing a small two bedroom house, like
0: I I noticed a frightened set of eyes looking at me from behind the curtains of a bedroom window.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The whole it, it reads to me, it literally reads like a zoo attraction from like an 1800s newspaper, like talking about how these like these malnourished, like ape like people are are scaring this young man from northern Ohio. Like it's it it's that plus Stephen King. Like, fuck this guy.
0: Yeah, it's like a horror story. And the monster in the story are poor people. Like, first of all, he's also reading this like it's a Bugs Bunny cartoon and it's just a black pane with eyeballs lit up all throughout the house. Like, okay. But second of all, this is one-off story about a house in a neighborhood and his uncle told him, oh, that guy doesn't have a job and he's proud of it. And that anecdote from an uncle has informed his whole worldview about yeah. this place. All Hill people are like this one guy who has these starving kids in here. Yeah, and He also, doesn't like to work, but he's mean and he's proud of it.
1: And we don't even know if that's true.
0: No, we don't. He judged the
1: shit out of this person he didn't and didn't even bother him, to talk to them. Right. Did not ask him any questions. Like, it's like, you know, this guy could have any number of, of circumstances or um, disabilities or any anything. And these kids, maybe he's taking care of kids from his uh, from like cousins or, or siblings. You know, we have no idea this person's situation. And like this just goes to show it's, it's that that saying like never, ever think that somebody else isn't going through something. Every single person on this planet is going through something difficult. And to cast judgment on people like that is grotesque. It really, really is.
0: Yeah, it. and grotesque should have been his middle name. Yeah. But sadly, here we are. Um, And it's. I don't have anything else to say about this, because I'm just, I'm going to, it speaks for itself of how much of a judgmental prick he is. And I will also point out, almost all of these quotes come within like the first 30 pages.
1: Yeah, yeah. There, it's really, he really comes out swinging. Are you ready for number two?
0: I am not prepared, but i'm go ahead
1: okay once again about the people of Jackson. This is a short one, but it's 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 real bad quote it's people are hard working, except of course, for the many food stamp recipients who show little interest in honest work
0: the, If there's one consistent theme in this man's life, it has been shitting on people who who take food stamps who 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 are on the welfare yeah. system
1: and and he knows nothing about their lives. Also, like there's a requirement that if you're on food stamps that you are you're working to obtain a job. Like like people yeah. don't just get this it just it doesn't make any sense. This guy is an asshole. I reading these again just reminds me how much we really need to mobilize the people of Ohio. This man should not be a senator for the United States who thinks about this is this is more than 40 percent of our population are, are, are people who have been on food stamps or have had some sort of interaction with them in, in their lives or are currently on them. Like this is so many people. And he's just writing them off. And it's it's so upsetting. I it makes it's like giving me heartburn. It,
0: it, he is truly infuriating and it's just like it's so judgmental and it doesn't take into account anything except his own anecdotal experience. Nothing else.
1: Yeah, no facts, he saw no data. One-
0: Exactly. He saw one person abusing the welfare system and took that as gospel. And yeah, hell yeah, there's people that's, that abuse the welfare system. There's people that abuse every single system of government ever in the history of government. Like, that's just, that's the facts. But it's not a majority. It's, in fact, a small minority that informs a worldview held by many Republicans and conservatives that's just completely out of out of step with reality,
1: and also, can I just like hearken back to a couple of episodes when we talked about um, the quarterback who abused the welfare system for millions and millions of dollars?
0: Ah, uh, yes, Brett Favre. Brett Favre. Of course. So, who could forget? Yes.
1: So you know, this is not even a correct stereotype. Lots of people who are manipulating the system are people like Brett Favre. Uh, It's just and he would never judge that person because they have money and because they are successful in his view. It's just completely stereotyping and and reducing people to what he believes are their moral deficiencies, but without actually knowing anything about them.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and he is the morally superior being in all of this, of course. He's that's why he's writing this tome. Oh, the last one, then we're gonna we're gonna have to move on from this, or else my my blood pro- I'm gonna go into like a cardiac arrest or something. The last one, number one, this is the top, and again, hard to pick, but quote to me, payday lenders could solve important financial problems. My credit was awful, thanks to a host of terrible financial decisions, some of which weren't my fault, many of which were. Oh, so you don't want to shoulder all the blame like you do for everybody else? Okay, great. So credit cards weren't a possibility. If I wanted to take a girl out to dinner and needed a book for school and didn't have money in the bank, I didn't have many options. Uh, Payday loans were an option to me. A one-day loan or a three-day payday loan with a few dollars of interest enabled me to avoid significant overdraft fees. The legislators debating the merits of payday lending didn't mention situations like that. This is also he was referencing when he, I think, interned or worked as a legislative assistant on a and and the center he was entering with was working on a bill about payday lending. Um, So he got a small loan and paid it off, which is what the vast majority of people who take off payday loans aren't able to do. (laughs) And they're completely predatory. They have extremely high interest rates and trap people in debt cycles for years Ask anyone. This is just an absurdly bad take. This is, again, a one off example, a one off anecdote about something that benefited him without any information to the contrary and just operating off of that. Him, a white male in Ohio. Oh, God damn it. I'm so okay. Yeah.
1: I mean, this is, the, it really is like a classic. Classic, uh, it didn't impact me, so I don't care about it. Or I think it should stay because I was able to benefit from it. And that's a really, really privileged stance. Um, And, you know, of course, J.D. Vance, king of privilege without acknowledging it. Um, it really is sad to me that that's that that is potentially going to be a senator, somebody who thinks that payday loans, uh, as they exist now, are are a good thing. When they have, you're right, they entrap people, um, sometimes for for decades.
0: It's also just really, I think, shameful to me that somebody who came from very like modest background you know he, he part of his family was poor like he definitely had money at certain points of his life but part of his family family's poor he came from not like obscene wealth but to come from a a humbling background and not be able to recognize the problems with this is, and and not just that but to put it in a book in a way that praises the system is to me is yeah. just so ignorant and stupid
1: yeah, elevating payday lenders while shitting on poor people.
0: Yeah, what a guy, man of the people, JD Vance. There you go, folks. That's it. Woof, that, that was hard. That
1: was a tough one to get through.
0: Well, that was a lot. That was a slog. I think. Um, should we move into some announcements before we go Let's into our do main it. subject? Still, we haven't done announcements in a while. We've got some small ones here. Our Patreon, patreon patreon.com slash You can join for as little as a dollar a month and support us in all of our endeavors to make this show as good as we possibly can. It's our primary funding platform to do all the things that we do. And if you join you get yourself a limerick and we normally have limericks for our Patreon members. But we're just getting back into the swing of things. So, uh, we have a, new, a few new ones that we're going to save for next week and do the limericks then. So buckle up, get ready for that. We hope that you join our Patreon. But with that being said, let's move into our main topic. The ARC. Yes. The ARC, the Appalachian Regional Commission. Real sexy, real sexy. I know. But, uh, well, look, that's our whole job here, right? Is to convince you the things that are not traditionally sexy are in fact very sexy. Let's hope. Let us know on a scale of one to ten, how sexy is the ARC after you listen to this episode. We're gonna be putting that on social media too, so don't disappoint us.
1: Yeah, that's a really I was about to say we should put a tweet out about that. <laughs>
0: Well, we're going to make it sexy, but of course, anything that's sexy and fun and useful is something the Republicans want to defund, and this is one of them, the Republican Study Committee, which is a, a not a standing committee, but just a committee in the U.S. House of Representatives, have suggested eliminating, cutting the regional commissions, all of them, including the Appalachian Regional Commissions, Delta Regional Authority, which cuts into part of Appalachia, I think, in the South Mississippi Delta region, and a bunch of other ones, Southeast Regional Commission, Northern Border Regional Denali Commission, all those. And they argue that these economic development programs are duplicative of other federal initiatives as well as state and local programs. And uh, they said that it should be eliminated, which will save taxpayers in or $64 million.
1: Oh, my gosh. So many monies. So many
0: monies, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a lot of money, but not for the federal government, really, in the big yeah, scheme of no, things.
1: That was, yeah, that was sarcastic. I know. I, know. Um... I'm just making...
0: <laughs> I mean, what? Yeah, Ooh. So um, yeah, your thoughts though initially before we kind of get into like what cuz we're going to talk a little bit about like what the ARC is, what it does, and then why this is.
1: Yeah, when I when I first saw this come across my screen, um I I kind of was like, well, it had to happen at some point because I I mean Republicans hate social programs. Republicans hate public goods. And the ARC, while very flawed, has done a lot of work that is for social good and for our collective good as a region. And so um I thought, wow, the inevitable shoe drops. Um, but at the same time, it kind of I, it made me really want to do this episode um, because a lot of people don't know the function of the ARC and why it's so important. Um, a lot of people just know that it's uh, it's run by Joe Manchin's wife and um, which is an interesting tidbit, but it, it, they don't know about some of its, its great programs. So um, I'm really excited to, to let people know more about the ARC and to start. This um, hopefully a movement To save the ARC
0: Yeah we should say like this is just a Proposal from the Republican Study Committee but We're taking it seriously because Republicans have a very good chance Of taking back the House of Representatives And you know I think it's probably unlikely That the ARC were to get eliminated but it's Like it's a possibility if they control the budget And especially Yeah also Chambers of Congress like they would control The budget
1: yeah. And and these these smaller pro these smaller proposals in these kinds of think tank projects have a reputation of sticking around for a long time and have a reputation of gaining traction over long periods of time. Mm-hmm. So the time to raise the alarm is now so that we can be prepared and ready um, to combat whatever comes down the road. So, you know, this is this is not the time for a five alarm fire but you know maybe we should be aware that there's some smoke uh that that is coming from the stove right now
0: yeah and and the other thing too is like even if they don't fully eliminate it you know they will go to try to gut programs big time yeah and so um so that's important to kind of keep in mind now we're not experts on the arc myself especially so this is not going to be like a complete full background you know deep dive into it or anything and there's far more qualified people than myself to run through this with you all but the basics are the Appalachian Regional Commission is a federal state partnership that works with the Appal- with, that works with the region in Appalachia to create opportunities for self-sustaining economic development and quality of life it was established in, I think, 1965, yes, by congressional authorization through legislation mm-hmm. um, with the express purpose of bringing the region into socioeconomic parity with the rest of the nation. And, and I think the biggest thing to remember is ARC is a mechanism to help disperse federal funds to economically distressed parts of Appalachia. That's a, you know, if you take away one thing from it, that's a big part of it. Um, Their activities, they must fall within one of five strategic investment goals that was articulated recently within the past five years, which include creating economic opportunity, developing a ready workforce, investing in infrastructure, including the Appalachian Development Highway System, leveraging natural and cultural assets, and bolstering leadership and community capacity. It's a lot of words. I know we'll get into what it really means. Um, The big thing here, and I'll expand on this later, is that they rely on partnerships, especially local partnerships with development districts to facilitate funding and drive economic development. It's a whole apparatus. It's not just like one little thing. It, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of moving gears, and there's a lot of people involved, both at the federal and state level, and that's an important part of this. This is a federal-state partnership. This is not just a big federal whale that gets money and goes away and fucks off into the wilderness like I think some yeah. of these Republicans would like you to believe, um, and just to kind of give you a sense of how much money it is, this past, I think, 2022 budget cycle, uh, they were awarded $235 million, just the RC, which comprises 0.3% of the entire federal budget, so not much.
1: Yeah, I think... Um one of the one one of the biggest things that um, that stands out to me there is bolstering leadership and community capacity and that's where I've seen a lot of the successes of the ARC and I'm, I'm really excited to get into this and um, but I think that that these goals while some of them you know maybe aren't what we would like to see you know I, I would I would put leveraging natural uh, assets is not necessarily one of the things that I want the federal government focusing on when it comes to Appalachia, but I do I, I, I and I, I know that they are doing great work when it comes to increasing the opportunities and the development of the region. Um, and so I, I think that this on the whole is an incredibly important thing to keep in the federal government because Appalachia needs to be able to have a seat at the table. That's what a large part of this is about, is making sure that there is a federal agency dedicated to our region and ensuring that we are not continued to be forgotten about you know this is this is something that we have to we have to continually push beat the drum on making sure that our legislators care about this region in a broader capacity than just their own districts and so this creates those kind of partnerships throughout the region that can lead to better legislation and better outcomes for Appalachia.
0: Yeah, you're 100% right. And it's something that I think federal government is huge and there's so many different moving parts that go into everything. But that's part of the reason why things work as well as they do in this country. And part of the benefit of something like the ARC is it's an apparatus that's directly responsible for distributing money to Appalachia. It's, to my knowledge, the only one of its kind. Like, it's the only federal entity that is specifically designed to be for Appalachia in that way. And if we lose that, we lose a lot of vital funding. There's no clear other way for it to get there or get there effectively. And that's a big Mm -hmm. part of this. Um, And and I want to go into that in a second. I just want to kind of tick through some of the accomplishments the ARC mentions. Obviously, they distribute, you know, over the years, they've distributed billions of dollars to the region. Um, so a couple of these they list, and it's difficult to say how much of a role the ARC played in some of this, but it's undoubtedly been a big role. It's just unclear how much. So the region's poverty rate has decreased by from nearly 31% in 1960, around the time the ARC was established, to 15.2% today. That's cut it nearly in half. Um, and the number of high-poverty counties has decreased from 295 to around 90 So that's good positive progress. Employment has increased Mm -hmm. at a 4.2% faster rate uh, than similar counties outside of Appalachia, and per capita income has increased at 5.5% faster rate than outside of Appalachia. That's another good indicator. Uh, Percentage of adults in the region with a high school diploma has nearly tripled since the ARC was created, and infant mortality rates have been reduced by over 66% since then. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of factors that go into that, not just the ARC, but um, and then the, one of their first tasks was coordinating construction of of the th- over 3,000 miles of the Appalachian Development Highway System that connected the region to the national highway system. That alone was extremely important. So, you know, yeah. there's a lot of stuff like this. It, the, the ARC certainly played a role, and I think, but for it, the region would certainly be worse off. Um, now, that's not to say there aren't flaws with it, and clearly... Like the region is still struggling and still far behind the rest of the country, so there's work to be done. But I think taking away this yeah. vital tool is a terrible one, and it would it would devastate the region. Because again, why why this is important is you have an agency with all these different connections, with all these people that are familiar with Appalachia. You've got state partnerships with with people who know the states, know the regions, know the counties, know the cities, know the people well. And understand the issues that are being presented there. And and one thing I can say about this too is like the local development districts are a really important part of this. Um, I haven't worked directly with ARC in the past, but I've worked directly with lots of development districts, especially in Tennessee. Shout out to the Upper Cumberland Development District in East Tennessee and 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 uh, the people that run that there. It's a great organization, uh, as well as um other ones throughout the um throughout the region. In fact, a former guest of the show, Lena Wood. Uh, worked in, I think, the Northeast Tennessee Development District for a time. So she can definitely attest to the importance of these. And it's important because they know the people and they understand like the issues that are happening and where the biggest needs need to be met. And they can communicate that to the broader commission who can then help them with the grant funding and getting the money where it needs to go. This is really important. I've seen yeah. this in action. I've seen this in work. I've seen people people that are involved in stormwater management be like look we like going to these people at this level saying we've got major problems in this small city where they're not getting a lot of attention good luck getting a congressman down there to deal with this problem or anybody else from the federal government that's like arc and something like that is like a stopgap or or a a it fills a blind spot really and it fills yeah. a hole that needs to be filled
1: absolutely and and this like kind of bottom up structure Um, does not exist in a lot of places in the federal government that there is feedback immediately from the ground and and it's not a top down it's not a dictation of what should be done it is what needs to be done according to the communities themselves and that's really special
0: it is and it's something that like you can't you can't really replicate in a different way. Again, the, this commission has been around since '65. So that's a fast math. How many years? Like fifty-four, fifty-seven. I'm bad at math. Wait. No. Yes. No. Sixty. No. Fifty. Fuck. Whatever. <laughs> it's been around a long time. Uh, clearly, I'm not a math major. Uh, and in that time, there's been there's built connections. There's there's been pipelines. There has been institutional knowledge gained and I'm, not, I'm saying like those things are important they often get overlooked but they're very important to how this money gets to the right hands and the right people and even still there are huge problems but that like getting rid of something just because oh this is money that the government spends therefore it's not necessary that's just wrong now there's plenty of useless stupid spending and probably even some within the arc has been really poorly spent or poorly managed or just stupid i'm not going to pretend like that doesn't happen i think democrats like to close their eyes and say la da 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 there's no such thing as waste fraud and abuse um there is just not to the extent that republicans want you to believe and there are really important things that that really important services that these things provide. And it pisses me off that they just want to get rid of it because they think it's a useless duplicative program when it's not.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I, I think you're totally right. I don't have anything else to add. I, I, We'll let folks know there's currently no action on this right now, um, but we will keep you updated on if, if anything comes of this, you'll be the first to know, um, and, and we will be you know working our butts off to protect the ARC and make sure that uh, its mission still stands.
0: Oh, yeah. The other thing, too, I forgot about this. I keep going on these rants. They produce like vital research and evaluations and maps and stuff that are specific to the region that aren't being done anywhere else, and they help guide where money needs to go, where our resources should be allocated. And, like, yes, all of this is imperfect, but it's very important. And I I don't know. I think, like, whenever people want to just write off entire things of, like, oh, this is just another useless thing, it's not. It's not. People depend on this stuff, and lots of communities depend on these investments.
1: All right. Chuck, I uh, have an under-the-radar story for you that I think is going to blow your mind. All right. So I am bringing you a story out of Kentucky um, by way of our partners at Appalachians for Appalachia. And by that, I mean me, because I am the executive director of that organization. So I was hit up a few months ago by a graduate student named Will Andrews. Um, He was at the University of Kentucky, um, and he's now starting his master's in Ireland, actually. But he did this, um, this project. He's an engineering student, but he loves Appalachia. He's from Eastern Kentucky. He cares deeply about the region. And he started diving into the federal money that was given to bring Internet access to underserved uh, communities across the Commonwealth um and that was like from from like the federal government that was funds that Kentucky as a state got so they got 300 million dollars in 2021 according to kentucky.gov um but the first round of grants does not back up that it was that, that that their claim of bringing internet access to unserved and underserved communities. So here's where it starts to get interesting. So of that 300 million dollars in federal money given to the state of Kentucky, 89 million dollars of it was recently awarded to projects spanning 35 counties and 12 internet providers. There's a lot of numbers in this, so I'll go slow. Um, less than 24 million of the 89 million that was awarded went to counties with the slowest average internet speeds. So starting from there, um, we start to look at who got these, which of these 12 providers got this money. Almost $50 million was awarded to Charter of Communications alone, and none of that money went to counties in the bottom 20 for internet speed. Charter's projects actually include four of the top 10 richest counties per capita in Kentucky. And... This continues a tangled web. All of the money awarded was for underserved areas like we noted above, which that is a good goal. However, that is only part of the problem that they went to the richest counties. No money was allocated for updating or modernizing substandard existing networks, which is the reality for much of Appalachia and other rural areas in Kentucky. And this means that audits of existing broadband infrastructure were either not carried out or disregarded by officials as grants were awarded. The areas of the state with the greatest need for improved broadband access were disproportionately unimpacted by this round of grants. So let's, let's take all of these numbers and do a little bit of math. Kentucky has 120 counties. 54 of those are Appalachian. So 45% of the counties are Appalachian counties. 35 counties were awarded grants. Only seven out of the 35 were Appalachian counties, 20%. Whereas of the state's proportions, Appalachian counties are 45%. At the same time, Kentucky's Appalachian counties account for 13 of the bottom 20 counties for internet speed, which is 65% of the counties with the lowest internet speeds. Basically, what I'm saying here is that these numbers do not add up. They don't make sense, and they clearly leave out many parts of of Kentucky that are the least served and have the worst Internet connections. Appalachian counties are significantly underrepresented in these grants, while simultaneously being significantly overrepresented among the most underserved broadband counties in Kentucky, they're just leaving Eastern Kentucky out to grow, out to dry yet again for the seven millionth time. This is episode episode seven hundred and thirty of this. Um, so. We we asked and Kentucky State Budget Director John Hicks said these grants will lower the cost of construction so that our most rural areas will have access to this necessity of high speed Internet. Hard to do when only five of Kentucky's 20 slowest Internet counties received funding. So the big question here and the big conundrum that we are facing is why isn't more being done to connect with the areas that are most underserved? And if the problems regarding broadband quality are this pronounced, why isn't more being done to mitigate them? And that is what I had to bring to you. It is a bonkers story of mismanagement of funds and lack of access, and it made my blood boil when I read these these statistics for the first time. This is
0: truly astounding. I want to know who is in charge of divvying up. I mean, this is always how it goes, right? The richest counties are the ones that get the most resources. But that God, that fuck, it has to fucking change at some point because. Internet is one of the best ways to bring unconnected areas into connectivity. I mean, that's not that sounds really stupid. I, but what I mean is, like, it, it's a way of getting out of poverty. It's a way of getting places up more to the 21st century get more resources. And to just ignore, you know, 40-something-odd Appalachian counties in addition to all the other rural and underserved counties in Kentucky is... A malpractice at a minimum this is just astounding to me like how do you do this and how do they get away with this I don't know I'm pissed this whole episode just had me pissed
1: Um. yeah so this whole episode it is it's infuriating the whole thing is infuriating and and to answer your question I, I think that one of the things that is the most upsetting about this is that because it was allocated to the state, um, it, it, it's done by Kentucky's Finance and Administration Cabinet um, with local officials assisting in writing the grant process. And so this is people familiar with the plight of Eastern Kentucky. This is not someone sitting up in a high tower in Washington, D.C., This is a a a a dropping, a major dropping of the ball when it comes to funding these rural areas by the state of Kentucky. And so that is something that I that I found really frustrating and painful about this is that it is an Appalachian state that has half of its half of itself is out of Appalachia, half of it is in. And just like in cases like Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, the Appalachian parts continue to be left behind by people in the the state seats. And this happens all the time. The people who get elected to those seats of power are the people who have the money and the votes, and that is people who are outside the region. This has happened for decades in so many Appalachian states there's only there's only one Appalachian state that is fully in Appalachia and that is West Virginia and so Every other Appalachian state faces this problem of competing against more well-served areas in their states, richer areas in their states, and places that have better representation because they have more people. And so I think that this is just a case of those painful realities for states across our region. And for me, it, it's it's so frustrating that we find ourselves in this position yet again.
0: Yeah, it's a shame. And it, it makes, I think it, the thing about this is like a lot of people don't know about this. And that's kind of why we wanted to highlight it because we want you to get pissed off about it. We want you to talk about it. We want you to complain to the people in charge about it so that this doesn't happen again. Because if not, they're just going to yeah. keep doing this.
1: Yeah, they're going to keep doing it and and keep taking our people for a ride. You know, this was this was specifically allocated. The quote is for unserved and underserved areas. And you know what? A lot of that money went to Lexington and Louisville. I would not call those places unserved by Internet providers It's just, it's a shame. It really is a big, it's a big shame that this money was there for the taking, for the using, and it did not go to the places that needed it most.
0: They're at least not underserved in comparison to many other parts of the state is what I would assume. And please, if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong about that, please tell me, but that would be my assumption.
1: Yeah. Well, so big giant shout out to Will Andrews for digging into this, um, and bringing this to light. Uh, This is just, for me, a testament to the power of one person. Uh, Will decided to do this research. Uh, It's not even his major. It's not even his field of study at all. Like He just cares. And so if you have the skill and ability to do this kind of really deep dive into something really wonky in your state, do it because it's important and it can bring really, really, stark issues to light and so this is a this is a 22 year old kid who brought this to us and and who is making a difference in his community and his world and so just a, a huge huge shout out to him for for doing this work
0: yeah big shout out to him and shout out to you for putting this all together and uh we hope that you all take this into consideration and raise some hell about it with that being said, uh, that's our show. Thank you all so much for listening. Check us out on all the social media and check out our new merch and our store. I'm sure we'll be coming out with some new stuff soon for the holidays. Wink, wink. And uh, check out our Patreon, all the other stuff that we have, Cornbread Hemp. Check them out too, and we will talk to you all next week.